welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Hi guys, so today I am here with Dr. Sonia Bellani and we are going to do an episode on the coronavirus and how us as women can stay healthy during this time, especially those who may have chronic pain conditions. We are going to talk about the most important and relevant questions and conversations and topics that you all have and then we're also going to dive into some listener questions that we've both received. So Dr. Bellani is based in New York City. We're doing this episode remote. So if the sound quality isn't perfect, I'm sorry in advance, but we're doing our best here. We thought that this is still important content and an important conversation to have. So we're making it work. Dr. Bellani is also one of the VHive's medical advisors. For those of you who are not familiar with the team of medical advisors that we have created at the VHive, We curated a highly knowledgeable, experienced, and diverse team of advisors who provide expertise in their respective fields. We have seven advisors who you can read more about on our website, www.thevhive.com, but essentially they support the VHive in making sure that the content we upload is always of the highest quality and value, and most importantly, accurate. So thank you to our team of advisors, and without further ado, Let's get into this important episode. So thank you, Dr. Bellani, for doing this from home and taking the time out of this chaos to educate everyone listening. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me, Hannah, as always. Of course. So we have a bunch of questions to go over, um, but I thought that it would be best to first start with you giving us a little explanation as to what the coronavirus is. Yeah, and I think this is really important because if we don't understand what's going on, it's going to be really hard to manage our lives based on it. So, you know, the coronavirus is really a name for a a disease that is called COVID-19. And COVID-19, the virus that causes COVID-19 is a SARS-CoV-2 virus. So, um, you know, this virus really, it originated in Wuhan, China, but it is a zoonotic disease, which basically means part of it is transferred between animals and humans. Um, it is now considered a pandemic, which means that it's occurring throughout the world in large proportions and growing pretty fast, alarmingly fast, which is why we've kind of had to undergo such a drastic change in all of our lives in such a short period of time. Um, 
the virus really causes a host of symptoms. In younger patients, the symptoms are theoretically more mild, although truthfully, we are seeing younger patients get pretty sick as well. Um, it really is a virus that uh, causes patients to have things like a runny nose, a fever, a cough. Um, and then when, when it gets to drastic stages, things like shortness of breath, um, it causes the lungs to collapse, it can cause the heart to collapse. So we really have to monitor this very, very carefully. And a lot of it is unknown. And that's what makes it such a scary thing. So in terms of the precautions that we should all be taking, what are the top precautions that we should be taking? And you know, how should we go about doing so? So right now, the biggest precaution that we can take, which I'm sure everyone has heard of, is social distancing. Um, And that is really staying at home. And it doesn't mean that you can't go out for a walk and have some fresh air, but it doesn't mean that you stay at home and have a play date with, you know, 10 other people in your house. And in fact, at least where we, Hannah and I are in New York, uh, the, the state has really limited how many people can even get together with parties less than 10. Um, restaurants, bars, offices, everything has really shut down here and is really getting ready to shut down in multiple different places to prevent the spread of this virus. Um, and it's really, really important to do this because what we don't understand is that hospitals have a limited amount of a capacity that they can have to take care of patients. If we are inundating hospitals with this, not enough patients are going to get the care that they deserve and things known as morbidity or mortality rates grow up, go up. And that really puts our population at a risk. Um, Hand washing is super important, even when you're at home, even when you're with kids, even when you are just doing whatever it is, because the virus can live on surfaces. It can live on wood up to four days. It can live on aluminum up to six hours. It can live on plastics for up to three days. That includes chairs. So, so you know, we really want to be cognizant of making sure that we're washing our hands for at least 20 seconds. I always, like I tell my kids, sing your ABCs while you're washing your hands so that you get a nice good hand wash in there um and that is really key to preventing spread of this this virus and then in general good global practices if you are feeling sick please do not put other people in harm's way if you're if you have a cough or a cold it doesn't necessarily mean that it's coronavirus but stay at home prevent that from getting further prevent other people from getting sick because right now it's hard to tell what is what, right? Because we're in a time where there's a bunch of cold viruses out there. So patients are getting scared. They're like, I don't know. Do I have coronavirus? Do I have the flu? Do I have a cold? So just if you're not feeling well and and you really are not sure what's going on, make sure you call your doctor, but also make sure you're at home and isolating yourself. And what's going on with all of the testing protocol? Like, can, you know, if someone is feeling sick and wants to get tested, should they, can they, what, what's the status on that? So that's a great question. And that's, that's changing daily, to be honest with you. The first thing is if you're feeling sick, first of all, and we've talked about this in other podcasts before, if you are feeling sick and you know your body and you say, whoa, I am really, 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 really sick, like this is not normal, please call your doctor immediately and they will instruct you on whether you need to go to the emergency room or whether they need to bring you in for an urgent 
for an urgent meeting or what needs to happen at that time. If you're feeling like you have a cough and a cold and you're really not sure what to do, again, call your doctor. Don't necessarily run to the emergency room because if you do, this is the situation where, number one, you can expose yourself to sicker patients and get sick. And number two, this is where emergency rooms tend to get inundated with people trying to get tested. Right now, we only have a certain number of tests in the state. So that's these tests are really being allocated to patients who have had a prior exposure, to patients who are exhibiting signs or symptoms, to patients who are deteriorating quickly. While we wish we had more tests, while, while that is something that the state is coming up with right now, we have to also be cognizant of the fact that we're trying to work together as a society to prevent this from growing at a faster rate. So, so it's important to understand that rushing over to the emergency room might not necessarily um, be the right thing to do if you're having mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then another question I just thought of that I want to ask you is if you know that you've been exposed to the virus, let's say someone in your office was exposed, that makes you exposed or you you've been somewhere else um, where you know people have had the virus, what's the amount of time that you need to either, self-quarantine or just take extra precautions to make sure that you don't have it. I heard that it was 14 days. If you don't see symptoms within 14 days of being exposed, then you're fine. Is that the case? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. So right now, right now you're correct. The, the, state is mandating 14 days. What you have to understand is scientifically, if you look at the data, and there's not much data on this, right? It's a novel virus. It's a new virus. We're dealing with studies that are just coming out really from the front lines immediately. The thing that it's showing is that 14 days is actually a very conservative number. It's not a conservative enough number, meaning that some patients are actually harboring symptoms and are are actually harboring the the disease for 37 days. So, yes, right now we're saying 14 days because that's what we know and that's the data that we have. But if you look at reports from China, there's all this question if people are getting reinfected or whether they are just kind of shedding the virus after the fact because people can shed the virus and be asymptomatic, and that's a huge thing. Um, And that data is really showing that that can occur within a time span of 37 days. So Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, 14 days, yes, that's, that's the right answer, but we should be cognizant of the fact that this stuff is, is really lingering on for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And then for women with chronic pain, I want to talk about that and address this population in specific. Of course, a lot of the women who listen to this podcast have some form of chronic pain or an autoimmune condition. So should these women be more concerned? Are there certain additional precautions that they should take during this time? What are you kind of advising your patients do? You know, and and this is the hardest part. So this is a heightened time for everybody. Stress levels are high. You know, while we're practicing social distancing, it doesn't have to be isolation from emotionally or from like some sort of social connection from people, but that is how people are feeling. And ultimately that can cause flares and pelvic pain syndromes. In addition, the social distancing you're saying, yeah, you know, just because the anxiety and the stress of it, 
right? Exactly. Uh-huh. The anxiety and the stress of it. And so what's your automatic reaction to clench your pelvic floor muscles? And ultimately that can affect your bladder. It can affect your vagina. It affects your pelvic floor. And ultimately it can cause you to cycle into the pain. And that's my, that's always my concern and the conversation I have with my own patients is that, look, one thing that's really helps my patients with that is understanding that they have me. Okay. They have me in the sense that like, if they have a question, if we need to do a telehealth consult, a virtual consult, they have that ability to do that. They are not disconnected. And that is a really important, there is stuff we can do. There's still, we can still navigate this whole kind of plethora of symptoms that people can be having with their pelvic pain and just because we're dealing with this virus it doesn't diminish any other symptoms do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it doesn't make their bladder pain any less severe and I understand that most good clinicians understand that um that having been said a lot of patients also tend to have autoimmune disorders things like RA things like lupus which ultimately cause a you know, cause the immune system to be compromised. And, and those are the patients that are really at risk here. And that's the reason that that we're really practicing this social distancing. So, so there are many different ways in which this virus can affect patients with pelvic pain. Understanding that is really understanding the concept context of the patient, but those patients should obviously be in close contact with their pelvic pain specialists during this time because there are things that we can do to mitigate the effects of this virus on their pelvic pain syndromes. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously hard, and it's hard for you to say, you know, what each patient should individually be doing, and that's not the the point of this podcast. You know, you're not. This isn't medical advice. This isn't. This is nothing. It's just edu. I mean, it's something. It's education, but it's it's that's all it is. Is education and awareness. Um, but you are totally right in in that women who do have compromised immune systems should consult with their doctors and should make sure that they are taking the right precautions that they need to take given their own circumstances. And I think that that in itself will give women a peace of mind just knowing that they have a plan, their doctor's there for them. You're obviously an amazing doctor who's made it very clear that you're there for your patients. And, you know, I think having that open communication is in itself really important and really helpful. Absolutely. It's so important. And and not and utilizing this time to, to self-care, to do things, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, mm-hmm. in, in the next few minutes too, but utilizing this time to perform activities that can help to down-regulate their pelvic floors or their vaginas, and there's still stuff that we can do. It doesn't mean that their lives get fully put on hold right now. Yeah. I'm just coming across a question that I should have asked before, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Now, this is in terms of social distancing, but do you recommend that we stay home entirely? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think this is right now a time that we have to have a social responsibility. No one wants to cancel their entire life ever, but we're doing this to, for the greater good to prevent a surgence of this this disease that hospitals and caretakers are not going to be able to really manage appropriately leading to morbidity and mortality of tons of patients. Mm -hmm. So right at this minute, if, if you were to ask me, do I think that everyone has a social responsibility to be distancing themselves? 
Absolutely. What is that defined as? It means, at least even in New York State, it means staying home. I mean, you can go out for a walk, but you really have to be at least six feet from anybody aside from the people in your own family. Um, It means you don't go out to eat, which is why restaurants and bars are closed. It means that you... um, that you don't have large groups over, like, this is not the time, this is not a snow day, it's not a time to have 10 of your friends over, and, you know, watching movies, eating pizza, and and that all sounds great, but now is not the time for that. FaceTime your family, you know, cook food at home, do things that, that are keeping you socially together, but not in an actual, like, physical way. Physically, you should be away from people. And then in terms of doctor appointments and physical therapy appointments, I am sure that most doctors and PTs and practitioners have closed their offices for the time being. But for any practitioners that haven't, do you think that patients should, you know, should should people be expecting to go to their appointments if their doctors or, or any of their medical providers are still open should they be should they expect to be going or is this a time where they should really just not expect to be going you know it's a great question it's definitely a tough question in the sense that if it's an urgent appointment you're like oh my god this is urgent i really need to see someone will your doctor likely be wearing a mask 100 percent. are you still putting yourself and other people at risk by going absolutely you are so if it is stuff that can be handled over the phone or over a virtual consultation i suggest doing so because there is a ton that can be handled in that respect at least for the current moment And remember, this can shift day to day. You know, this is very fluid. It really depends on the number of cases that we're seeing going up per day. It really depends on how saturated hospitals are. But for the current moment, yeah, that would be my recommendation is to really refrain from going out for anything that is unnecessary. There's two other categories of women that I want to touch base on. So the first are moms. And then the second is women who are pregnant. So we can start with moms for any moms that may be listening is there anything specific in addition to what we've already talked about that they should be doing at home to help their kids make sure that their kids are healthy staying safe um do you have any recommendations on that front you know right now from new york city schools are closed it is a tough time for moms, parents in general out there, and me being a mom and telling you that from personal mm-hmm. experience. Part of that is is that while we want to be the best moms out there, we also have a lot of on, on our plates. A lot of us are working during this time at the same time. Just do your best. You are doing a great job. Whether you spend these two weeks homeschooling your kids with treatment plans or with like school plans and all this other stuff and they do great, or whether you spend this time letting your kids watch TV all day, to be honest with you, it's going to be okay either way. As long as you are keeping the health of you and your family at the forefront. And that's really what I would recommend. Don't put pressure on yourself to be this perfect teacher and mother and everything 
talking to everybody, like really focus on you and what you need. For example, every morning I take 20 minutes away from my kids, whether that means putting on a screen for them to meditate, because Mm -hmm. for me, it helps me calm my nerves. It helps me be able to deal better with my patients and my kids for the day. So we all have trade-offs and you have to be okay with continuing to do what makes you a whole and complete person. Mm -hmm. And for those that are pregnant, what, you know, what should they expect? Should they be more worried? Um, Is there anything that they should be doing in specific? So right now, right now, the data has not shown transmission to fetuses. There was one case of a newborn born with coronavirus, but in that case, there was a question of whether they had acquired it after they were born. Mm -hmm. So we know that in terms of the data, coronavirus tends to affect children and young people much more mildly, and that that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So for pregnant patients, take care of yourself. But don't get lost in the fact that this is somehow going to be transmitted and you're somehow going to, you know, do something to 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 compromise your pregnancy because you're not. Mm-hmm. Most OBs and GYNs are still open, although they are limiting appointments at the same time. So many people are having patients come in. Um, and we had talked about this before. So a lot of people are doing temperature checks. So, you know, checking temperatures before patients walk through the door to make sure that they are not symptomatic and not um, going to expose other patients to this. Um, a lot of waiting rooms are having patients wait in cars or patients wait isolating themselves before their appointment. So not to expose a, a drastic population to this. Mm-hmm. So every OB and every GYN is taking their own individual precautions but there are precautions and I think that at the in the grand scheme of things pregnant patients are you know one of the most protected populations that we have out there which is great so I'm I'm happy to hear that and then for other practitioners who are listening if you were to make a recommendation should they be keeping their practices open closing them um what's your view on that you know, obviously, and also we can touch on telemedicine. Is that something that's going on widely? I know that you're doing a lot of remote appointments and talking with your patients over the phone, but you know, what should other practitioners kind of be doing at this time? So, you know, obviously listening to your state advisory boards is key. I can speak to New York City because thankfully they have given us pretty specific recommendations. The Surgeon General has released a commentary stating that all elective procedures can and should be canceled. Um, And elective procedures are considered, you know, anything like Botox, trigger point injections, all of the stuff, bladder installations, anything that can be postponed, although it's not to diminish your pain, it is to protect patients from getting sick, can and should be postponed. I mean, NYU, Cornell, Columbia have all canceled surgeries that are not that are elective. Mm -hmm. So understand that that this is a big thing and and nobody wants to do this. It doesn't hurt anybody as much as it hurts us physicians who want to see you get better. But we're doing this with your greater good in mind. And I want to like let everyone know that because it's easy to get lost in the well, I'm immune to this or I'm just going to get a mild thing and it's not that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal. And, And nobody would be 
basically putting their lives on hold if we didn't think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, you know, in terms of New York State, I think that most clinicians and practices here have been abiding by what our government has been saying, which is right now a complete shutdown and potentially soon to be locked down. So right now, I would definitely listen to your advisory boards. And if there is a question, I would always adhere to the side of being safe rather than sorry. And for practitioners who aren't based in New York, how can they go about understanding and viewing the guidelines for their specific state? So the CDC and the WHO all have published recommendations um, for state-by-state and national guidelines, which they have access to. In addition, um, most counties, even like Nassau County, New York City County, um, have press releases that that have been published on their websites um, that are very clear. And again, if there's a question, it's so easy to just to just adhere to the side of being safe. And and I can't stress that enough. Do you have any tips for those who do have to go to a doctor during this time? I've heard that at certain offices and hospitals, you have to wait in your car before going in. What's going on with that? So, you know, and that that's really the whole concept of isolating patients so that they're not exposing any other patients. Mm-hmm. So it's the same. I would go in the same regard. So if you have to go to a doctor's appointment, I don't think it's unreasonable to wait in the car or to wait in a place at least six feet from anybody else so that you are not um, being exposed to a patient and you're not exposing anybody. Because while this is not an airborne virus, so to speak, it does last in the air for three hours. So we have to be very careful with how close we sit to to people. And mm-hmm. that's why people have been taking these masks and all of that. Do you know what I mean? Because it's this whole concept of trying to um, prevent those, that, those droplets from getting in and then ultimately causing disease. So the masks really are something that we should be wearing? Because I heard that the masks no. are pointless. No. So the masks should be worn by healthcare providers. You have to remember that if we cannot take care of you, there is there is no good that will be occurring. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that people have been stealing masks from doctor's offices, from uh, hospitals. And then as practitioners, we don't have masks to be, to be taking care of the entire patient population. So if you're practicing social distancing, you do not need a mask. Mm-hmm. If you're walking around to go for a regular walk away from people for six feet, you do not need a mask. You know, that varies for some immunocompromised people, which their doctors would be having a conversation with them about. But for the general population, you do not need a mask to walk around. But I'm now I'm confused because if it's in the air. No, it's not airborne. Okay, got it. But the droplets can live in the air for somewhere around three hours. So you want to prevent coughing on someone, sneezing on someone. That's the kind of thing where it can live in that. If you're six feet close to someone and someone sneezes on you, that can be an issue. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally. But it I got is it. Not airborne at all. So I'm glad we covered that. And then the last thing I want to go over are the things that we can do and the things that we can control during a time that feels incredibly uncontrollable. So, you know, jumpstarting our health, meditating, yoga, dietary changes, just looking inwards and really focusing on ourselves, our bodies, our minds. What are your recommendations 
for things that we can do at home and that we do have control over in this time of chaos. Yeah, I think this is so important. You know, we have to And one a- sorry, one other thing I just want to add is that I I feel so strongly about and I've noticed and you know, even like I I spoke with my mom about this and for the people that are because some of us are so much more anxious than others whether it's just a genetic component or some people have more of a fear mentality whatever it is you know some of us are able to stay relaxed and some aren't and I think that for those of us that are able to stay calm it's so important that we tune into that because our peace and serenity is like so vital and I know that even you know my dad's anxious and Uh, I'm in a house with a bunch of other people who are worried and for those that are able to really just stay calm like that energy radiates throughout the house and I don't mean to sound all you know spiritual and voodoo but it's really true that like for those of us that are able to just keep like peace like inner peace everyone who were stuck in a house with our family our friends whoever you're with your boyfriend your husband like your kids we all feel the energy and you know the energy outside is weird I was in the supermarket a few days ago it's creepy so it's so important to just keep your peace because everyone else is going to feed off of it if we all start going crazy and we all start becoming super anxious that's not gonna help at all so I, I feel fortunate that I, although this is, it's concerning, I'm able to be, to focus on my work and just be calm and read and watch TV and hang out with my dog. And I'm trying to just keep that mentality and momentum throughout the day and to just hope that everyone around me will be able to be a little bit happier and more peaceful because of it, you know? I think that's such a perfect way to describe and and such a perfect perspective because in these uncertain tumultuous times there are only a certain amount of things that we can control and that's everybody people with disease and people without disease and focusing on what we can control and what we can do during this time to kind of better ourselves is really what will set apart um, those who really flourish and are able to kind of get through all of this and those that end up, you know, having to really cycle into their own distresses. And Mm -hmm. I I love the way that you put it. And I think that that we can't as even as a physician, as an allopathic physician, I can't stress how important that is. Right. And, you know, people really like you know, for example, and you've been very open about your own story with pelvic pain, mm-hmm. which I think is wonderful, but you took a problem and you are, you are aiming to help other people who have it by way of what you've been through. And that is just the key to really, you know, getting, I mean, it's, it's part of the reason that I think so what you do is so wonderful, but it's really the key to helping us propel forward, especially during a time like this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely encourage everybody and anybody to to continue to do that whether that means practicing things like at-home yoga at-home meditation understanding what kind of things they're putting into their body taking time to you know go through reading a book that they haven't read but focusing on themselves and I think that that really is going to be key well first thank you I (laughs) I, (laughs) thank you so much and um I'm just happy to be able to 
have made all these relationships, you know, with you and with all the other practitioners and experts in this space and to just be able to provide women with information and, and a safe space to learn. But in terms of supplements or vitamins or certain foods or drinks that we can eat to help boost our immune system, is there anything um, in specific that, that we should be doing? Yes. So, you know, this is tricky. So there's some data that has looked at, number one, things like um, vitamin C in patients with long-term cold symptoms. Now, that is a little um, not not something that I would necessarily recommend to all of my patients, especially because a lot of them have interstitial cystitis. So they have this disruption in the gag layer and taking something super acidic while potentially helpful for their cold symptoms or to prevent, um, this, this, drastic response to the virus can ultimately cause their bladders to flare and the data there's not enough data to support it so Mm -hmm. that's like one thing that I just want to throw out there um the other thing is there was this small study done in France um, really looking at the um, things like anti-inflammatories in patients. And I know a lot of patients take things like hydroxyzine or um, Motrin. And, and so during this time, there is some data that that can actually cause the COVID-19 to worsen symptoms in certain patients. Mm -hmm. So it's really a case-by-case basis thing, but I think it's important data that needs to be understood in the realm of the landscape that we are in right at this moment. So, you know, in terms of supplements, I really think I'm a huge believer in, um, in, eating my supplements. I really like the whole concept of food as medicine to me is a huge thing. So I always watch what I put in my body and I try to make sure that we have things like zinc and uh, vitamin D3 and B, B and the B vitamins just to kind of um, ensure that I am putting all the right things in my body. But I think this is a great time for patients to explore what that means to them. Um, you know, you don't want to be eating frozen pizza and hot dogs all day because that's not necessarily going to help uh, promote the right immune responses that we want at this time. Those are all amazing points. Thank you. And then one other thing that I just thought of um, is alcohol obviously can weaken our immune system and our immune response. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying everyone should cut out alcohol completely, but my personal opinion and view is instead of, you know, if you're someone who has a glass of wine or a drink several nights a week, cut it down, maybe have one drink a week at night on the weekend. But I think that also reducing alcohol consumption is probably important right now, especially to keep our immune systems and our bodies strong and healthy and energetic? You know, yes. And it's a tough thing too, because (laughs) Because we're all stuck at home. (laughs) Because we're all stuck at home, right? Like even, even Cuomo was like, okay, we're going to shut down bars and restaurants, but we're still going to deliver alcohol. (laughs) Because, because it's just the nature of humans. Um, And I think that limiting and understanding our own bodies is key. I also think that for patients, please don't use alcohol as a coping mechanism during this time. It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy cycle to get caught up in for 
anybody and everybody. So if you if you notice yourself doing it um, on a daily basis, you know, four o'clock, three o'clock hits and you're reaching for that glass of whatever, you know, perhaps a good time to say what maybe I should take a moment to, and you know, people can think I'm crazy, but like take a moment to like meditate or take Mm -hmm. a moment to do something else that we can still distract ourselves with without having this clutch of a vice that we need. Um, But, you know, having a drink here or there, I think there's no problem um, if if that suits you, Uh, but just be cognizant of it. And I think that's key. I completely agree with all of the points you've made, everything you've said, and thank you again for taking the time to do this. I just really want everyone to have the right information, to have their expectations properly set, to know what's going on. So you were so helpful, as always, so informative. And tomorrow we're going to come back on here and we're going to do a listener Q&A to answer all of your questions that we may have not answered in this episode. Um, I really want to, you know, include all of you. And I know Dr. Balani gets a lot of questions and has been getting a lot of questions during this time. So if you have any questions that you want answered tomorrow, send an email to info at thevhive.com. That's spelled T-H-E-V-H-I-V-E.com. You can also DM the VHive on Instagram. So for those of you who don't follow us on Instagram, it's just the let the and then the letter V Hive H I V E. So you can send us a DM there. So within the next 24 hours, send in your questions and Dr. Balani and I are going to come back on here tomorrow answering any and all questions that you guys have and that we can properly answer. So I hope this was helpful. Please let us know we are just happy to be able to still do some recordings and share information and help all of you listening and stay safe, stay healthy. We're all, we're all in this together. We're here from you and we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, Dr. Balani so much. Oh, and one thing I forgot. Well, two things, where can everyone contact you and what are some resources that you can recommend? Yeah. Um, so for my patients, you know how to contact me that, and for anyone who really, you know, needs to be seen during this time, it's best to contact the office, uh, 212-634-9533. As most of you know, we cannot give medical information uh, out just like Hannah said before. So we're happy to give education, but that's the most we can do right now without, um, unless, unless you're an actual patient of the practice, which I would be happy to see you. Um, and then, and then some really great resources. Number one, you know, and this is not just saying that I think the VHive is a great resource for tons of patients. Number one, it can, it takes someone's story. I mean, Hannah's story and it really kind of breaks it apart into what has worked, what hasn't worked, what are things that you can do. And, and coming from that, like, social aspect of it I think that it's a great way to stay connected during this time Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of like exercises I know a lot of physical therapists are doing virtual consults as well Um, one one thing that I love online is yourpaceyoga.com for patients that want to kind of start to implement a yoga routine during this time for meditation I I personally love the Calm app um, Headspace just something to kind of 
de- downregulate our central nervous systems during this time is really, really helpful. Um, and then my website always has a ton of information, www.pelvicpaindoc.com. And you can see blogs, you can see exercises, you can see things that work and don't work. Um, but yeah, we are all here as a community together. We will get through this together in greater health. Um, and just remember that, although during this time, it can always just seem like a bit of a tumultuous process. Um, please understand that we are here for you. And, and I hope you all stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you so, so, so much. All of those resources that you just listed, I'm going to put in the show notes so that everyone can easily access them. And I'm so grateful for you and that you took the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I know that this is really going to provide everyone with some helpful and accurate and important information. So thank you again. And we'll be back tomorrow. Sounds great. Thank you all. This podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.